Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 37 through 45 this morning. And uh, last week we had Ron Sitlau from uh, Faith Church in Hammond come and share with us. And I just want to quickly recap the, some of the things that he had talked about. Um, he, he was looking at Luke chapter 7, actually, with the, the sinful woman and Jesus in the, at the Pharisee's house at the party. And at this party, this woman had come and, and anointed Jesus' feet and weeping over him. And, and uh, the Pharisees were just absolutely upset and angry about the things that were happening and a couple of points were, was that scandalous grace, this grace of God, this mercy, this kindness of God that God was, that Jesus was lavishing on this woman, it brings hope to people. And this woman just wanted to be with Jesus. But also, scandalous grace causes sinners like this woman to do outrageous things, like break into a party where she was uninvited, to come to a place where she knew she would be looked down upon, because she just wanted to be with Jesus. But that scandalous grace that causes sinners to do outrageous things and bring hope, brings hope to people also makes religious folks mad. There's a certain amount of sins that we kind of like tolerate, like, oh, you used to be greedy, but now you're a generous person. We like that one. But for the person who was uh, an abusive father, it, it, sometimes like, oh, I just don't know how to get around this one. But yet God's grace is still pervasive even in those situations. Um, he also talks about, he also talked about scandalous grace forgives sin over and over and over again. And that's one of the amazing things when we think about God's grace, God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ. It is a forgiveness of sin, of our sin, daily. Every single day of our life, we wake up and God's mercies are new every day. And scandalous grace is also, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. That is what we, as a church here, want to proclaim is the name of Jesus Christ, is the hope that we have in Jesus, is the life that we have in Jesus. So the songs that we sing and the, the, everything that we do here, we want it to be completely focused and saturated in Jesus Christ. That is what we want to do here at this church, is proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. We're going to read through this and we're going to pray. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, if you remember, they're they're on the mountain, the transfiguration, Jesus transfigured before them. He's talking with Elijah and Moses God the Father speaks out and says, This is my son, listen to him. And this is the next day, they're coming down the mountain. A great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and, suddenly, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. And will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Verse 41. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, 
How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, that your word is alive and it is active. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit comes and, and brings your word and breathes it to life in our hearts. And we pray this morning as we look into your word, Lord, that you would soften our hearts and give us the gift of faith to receive your word and put it into practice. God, that we would not just be hearers of your word only, but doers as well. So Lord, I pray that you would help me this morning to communicate your eternal truth to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the, the disciples are coming down from this mountain, this mountaintop experience, both literally and figuratively. Here they are with Jesus on the mountaintop, seeing the glory of God, seeing the glory of Jesus Christ radiating from Jesus, seeing him talk with Moses and Elijah. And they're all together as they begin to come down this mountain. The first thing that they come across is demonic opposition. The very first thing they're met with, this, this kind of this, this euphoria all of a sudden kind of wears off pretty quickly when they realize there is a real present opposition to the work of God. I remember my first year of, of working in ministry and we, at, at the end of, um, during my first year, I think it was my first year or second year maybe, of ministry, I had, my, Michelle and I had our, our first wedding anniversary. And so we decide that there's, there's this kind of award ceremony thing going on at church at the time. And I'm like, look, I am not going to go to the award ceremony at church because it's our, it's our first wedding anniversary. I don't want to blow this one. I don't want to mess this one up. This is really important to get right. And so, um, John, just keep that in mind, okay? I want you to remember that. This first wedding anniversary coming up, you got to get this one, all right? But I didn't want to mess this one up, so I'm like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out to eat somewhere nice, and then at the end of it, I will still make it to church in time to see a bit of the award ceremony. You know, that's so romantic, I know. Um, so we go to, we have a nice dinner at Red Lobster, and then we go... And we, we head over to church, and we, we, see it, we see the last 15 minutes of the award ceremony. And at the end of the award ceremony, one of the, one of the kids in youth group at the time uh, got an award, and we were able to see part of the, the whole thing. And it, so the next day, I come, I come into work. I'm like, man, it, that was great. You know, I got to, you know, spend time with Michelle. It's the first wedding anniversary, and we got to do some stuff at church. Everyone's happy, right? Michelle's happy. 
you know, parents at church are happy, uh, youth pastors there, you know, watch their kids. Well, one of the ladies whose kid was there who got an award was so upset that I wasn't there for the whole thing that she was just bawling. I mean, she was just weeping that I wasn't able to make it to the whole ceremony. And I remember just hearing about like, oh, so-and-so is really upset. You weren't there for the whole thing. You're only there for the last 15 minutes. And I'm like, it's my one-year wedding anniversary. Like, forget the church. I, want, like, I need to be able to like minister and care for my wife in this moment. And not just like, forget you, honey. We're going to go to church for our one-year wedding anniversary. But I felt in that moment, in that moment, there was this real dis- discouragement. I mean, I felt like, what am I doing? Is this something I want to do for the rest of my life? I mean, do I, do I really want to give myself to, to, to serving in ministry if, if I can't even, you know, take my wife out on her one-year wedding anniversary without people getting upset and crying and weeping and, and being so, you know, it's just so discouraging. And I've got examples like that throughout my, throughout, I've, I can probably write a book on the amount of times I made people cry. And... Um, but it's like this, this thing where like we're doing God's will and we think everything's going okay and bam, we get blindsided. There's this real opposition to what God is doing. Like, man, you can't even take your wife out because it, it just, you, you can't make everyone happy. But here in this instant, there is this moment with the disciples where Jesus is coming off the mountain and they are met with opposition. And sometimes it's talking with people there's a certain assumption, I think, this assumption that's incorrect most of the time, that if I'm doing God's will, right, if, it, if I'm doing the things that God has called me to do, that I won't have any kind of opposition or trial or suffering in the middle of that. Because I'm doing what God's called me to do, things should work out the way that I think they should work out. There should be blessing in this. And you know what? Sometimes there is. But in my experience, and just looking at the Word of God, Jesus' experience was that he was always doing the exact will of God. And him and the disciples experienced opposition and trial and suffering throughout all of it. And I think this is the story of God's people. It's because when we begin to follow God, there is always going to be opposition in our lives. There is always going to be either, whether it's the... The, the enemy who comes against us or our own heart that deceives us or the cravings of this world that would, would seek to lure us away from the purposes of God, there is always going to be opposition to the people of God, especially when we're in God's will. That will always be the case. Now, sometimes we experience uh, the effects of, of foolish decisions, so I'm not saying if we're experiencing you know, hardship or trial or suffering or opposition, that means we're in God's will. I think if we, you know, uh, spent, we went to the boats every weekend with our paycheck, we're probably going to experience some kind of financial hardship in our lives. That's not because we're in God's will and we're just experiencing some opposition to that. But I do think a lot of times I don't want us to have the assumption that if we're following God's purposes in our lives, that the road is going to be smooth and easy with no opposition. Think about this. If you look back, just briefly glance back at what we've read in, in Luke so far. Jesus on, on the, in the boat, I believe this is in Luke chapter 6 or 7, he's in the boat, 
There's a great storm. The disciples are terrified for their lives. Jesus speaks out and stills the storm, right? You guys remember this? Stills the storm. Lake goes calm. They come to the other side. And what, what is, who's waiting for them on the other side of the lake? Legion. A man full of demons. And you think, man, there's opposition. Jesus, here, we, we read about last week, Jesus forgives a sinful woman. There's immediate opposition to God's purposes for this woman. There's, there's the scorn of the Pharisees and the people around them. There's people, Jesus, you don't know who this woman is. Jesus and this woman both experience opposition to the purposes of God in their lives. In the same way, here Jesus is following the will of God and is experiencing oppositions. And this is the continued story, like I said, of God's people. Right the way from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, there is a real and present opposition to the work of God. And it's always been that way, and it's going to be that way until Revelation 20, when Satan is thrown into the pit, thrown into hell for eternity. Then we'll have no more opposition. But this only serves us to deepen our trust and dependence upon God. Think about this. When, when, things are going, when things are going well for us, it's in those moments that I experience in my own life, just kind of a, hey, I got this one. This is easy. Things are going well. It's in those moments where I am, I am in the middle of a trial or suffering or hardship where I think, man, in those moments, I am near to God. It's in those moments that drive me to my knees. It's in those moments that I'm clinging to the feet of Jesus for all of my life saying, God, help me in this. It only serves us to bring us closer to Jesus. So the man brings his son to Jesus. And the man confronts Jesus with two problems, right? He says, look, Jesus, we've got some problems here. Number one, there's a demon that's tormenting my son. And it's a serious problem. This isn't just like, hey, he's got some nightmares going on. This is a real demonic attack upon my son. In verse 42, it says the demon threw threw the boy to the ground. This is the same word that's used for a, a boxer giving a knockout blow or a wrestler throwing somebody. This is like MMA style UFC going battle going on between a demon and this, this, boy's, this boy. And he's, the man also says this, the demon is seizing my son and, 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 tr- and trashing him, but the second problem is this, the disciples are unable to do anything about it. I've got two problems here, right? Number one, this demon is tormenting my son. Number two, I came to your, your disciples and they're unable to do anything about it. So what's the real problem here? If you look back in, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus had called these tw- same 12 guys together to do what? To cast out demons, heal the sick, proclaim the gospel. These are the same guys that Jesus gave authority and power to go forth and to cast out demons, to take care of situations like this. So what's the real problem? Well, in verse 41, Jesus identifies the problem. He says this is a faith problem. This is a faith issue. 
that they are trying to do something in their own strength that only God can do himself. These disciples are trying to, in their own strength, cast this demon out, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus says this is an issue of faith because this is something that only God can do. And faith is saying that we need Jesus. Faith is realizing that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That apart from Jesus Christ, we're helpless. That we need Jesus. We can do nothing apart from Him. There's a phone conversation I had a number of years ago. This is probably seven years ago or something. And I had uh, preached a message at Living Word. This is um, probably when I first started preaching. This is probably my second or third message or something like that. But anyways, I got a phone call that next Monday after I got into the office. And the person on the, on the phone said, hey, I, you know, someone left the message. Hey, so-and-so wants you to call them. So I called this person. And they proceeded to just light me up. I mean, they were all over me, just... I can't believe you'd say this. this is ridiculous, you know, just going on and on and, and just, just laying into me. And have you ever been in one of those situations where about halfway into this thing, you're like, I am way over my head here. I have like no idea what I'm doing. Well, I felt that way. I'm like, man, I am in way over my head. I have no idea what to say right now. And this person is just furious with me. And all I can do is just sit here and just kind of listen to this person go on and on and on. I had needed, I had needed Jesus before I ever had that phone conversation. I should have been praying before every, before every phone conversation I have. I should be praying before every meeting I have with people. I should be praying before every sermon I deliver. I should be praying before every, before every church service because I need Jesus. In the same way we all need Jesus. John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, he wrote this. If the occasion seems small, we are too apt secretly to lean to our own wisdom and strength, as if in such slight matters we could make do without him. Therefore, in these we often fail. And I think in the, it's in the, the big things. We're about ready to go on a mission trip. We're going to pray and seek the Lord for that. But it's that phone conversation that we need to have that we fail to pray and seek the Lord for. And I think in these small things, we often fail because we think that we can do it on our own. Now, if we ask, okay, do you think you can do this on your own? We'd say, no, we need Jesus. But by the way in which we live, so often in the little things that we do, we act as if we can do it on our own, that we don't need Jesus. And so because of this, we often fail. Now, thinking about missions trip, I don't know if you've ever been on a missions trip before. But in my experience on missions trip, there is such, every day, every morning, there is such an anticipation that God is going to do something great in your midst. That God is going to be delivering people from sin. He's going to be bringing people into his kingdom. He's going to be using high school students and young kids to do his work. And so every morning, there's, you wake up and you begin to pray and seek the Lord and wait upon him. And you know what? There's an expectation that God is going to do something. And he does. But then I come back home and I, and I don't approach each day with that same kind of expectation. There's a bit of like, okay, I'm just back in the real world now. You know, that kind of missions trip experience was good for the missions trip, but back home things are different. 
And I just wonder, if we were, as the people of God, to approach each and every day with the same kind of anticipation and same kind of dependence upon God, the same kind of faith that would say, God, you are going to do great things today. You are going to be bringing people into your kingdom. You are going to somehow use me to to testify to your goodness and your power and your glory. And that we would approach each day with this same kind of anticipation. wonder how different things would look for us. I wonder if we were, as a church, were to approach Sunday mornings with that kind of anticipation. If we really showed up here on a Sunday morning believing that God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit, was going to work and move and reveal Jesus Christ to us here on a Sunday morning. And that somehow the songs that we sing and the words we proclaim and the communion that we take and the offerings that we give and the announcements we, 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 we participate in and the greetings that we give was somehow God would use those very seemingly small things to bring about a great revelation of Jesus Christ to other people. wonder how different our church services would look. wonder how different our life share groups would look if we came into them with an expectation that God was going to move, that His Spirit was going to soften hearts. He was going to bring people to repentance and faith, that He would use us to be ministers of His gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to people. How different that would look. But I think for me, I don't approach things that way. I so often approach things in my own strength. Hey, this is, we've done Life Sugar Group a million times. We've done church a million times. We've, you know, done all these things over and over again. We just kind of put it on automatic and we, and we go on with our life. And I think this for us is calling us back to a place of faith. That God would somehow, in some way, use us. For his purposes, even in the small things, even in a conversation, even in a phone call, even in a greeting here at church on Sunday morning. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news about me failing to approach each day in each way like this. It's about us not being able to approach this way. It is in the midst of the disciples' failure that Jesus is at work and he is bringing about the glory of God. That's what I love about this story. It's in the midst of the disciples' failure that God is still at work. It's in the midst of our failure, it's in the midst of our sin and disobedience that God is still at work. Jesus heals the boy, brings him back, restores him to his dad, and says, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. It's in the midst of the disciples, it's in the midst of our failure that God is still at work, that God is still doing something, that God doesn't forsake his people. Even in the midst of our failures, God is working in and around us. There is hope, there is grace, even for our failures. Verse 43, and they were all astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, so the people here are watching Jesus Christ, the way he's been healing, he's been delivering people, the way he has been, he's been caring for people, the way he has been speaking life to people. 
They were marveling at all he was doing. Jesus turns to the disciples and says something quite unexpected. He says this, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. I mean, what kind of like buzzkill was that, right? I mean, these guys are like, man, this is awesome. Jesus is doing some great things here. He's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to be betrayed and turned over and be arrested. And if you remember what I said a week ago, I'm going to be delivered over and I'm going to die. and I'm going to be raised up in three days. It's like in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this glory and majesty of God, Jesus brings them back to the, to the one thing that he says, I am, this is what I'm here to do. This, cool, this, this healing is great. These delivering people from demons are great. But man, what I am here to do, what I'm here on earth to accomplish is the salvation of people. Is to die on the cross for sin. That is what I've come here to do. This is what is most important. This is how the glory of God is most clearly displayed for all people. That somehow the king of the universe, the creator, would die for his creation. That the savior would come as king and as lord and die for the sins of people. How can that be? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. People hear you think, what are you talking about? Even the disciples are like, man, this is, this is ridiculous. How can this be? Even in Jesus' arrest and betrayal in the garden, what happened to the disciples? They all took off. They still didn't get it. And here they, they still don't understand this. They're slow to learn. And I think just like us, we are slow to learn. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about on the Mount of Transfiguration, what is Jesus calling us to do? What is Jesus calling you to do? I wonder how many of us in this moment in time have gone back and have obeyed the voice of the Lord and done the very thing that God's called you to do. If you haven't, you're slow to learn. If I haven't, I'm slow to learn. And this is exactly why God told the disciples on the mountain, he said what? Listen to my son. This is why we need to listen to Jesus, because we're slow to learn. How can majesty be associated with suffering and death? How could the glory of God be associated with a, with a, with a cruel cross that Jesus died upon? How could the king of glory come and give his life for the very people who rebelled against him over and over and over again? It doesn't make sense. It's, it, it appears foolish to people. But for those who are being saved, it is a display of the power and the glory of God. And here Jesus is calling us to surrender again to his word. He is calling us to surrender to him again. He is calling us to stay near to Him, to listen to His voice, to respond in obedience to Him because we, like the disciples, are so slow to learn. We need to get this word drilled into our head. What is Jesus saying? We need to listen to Him and we need to respond in obedience. 
We need to respond and surrender to him. But the good news is that even in our slowness to learn, even in our lack of faith, God is still at work. And this is God's grace to us. God's mercy to us. That means no matter how much we have messed up, no matter how, how much faith we have not exercised, no matter how slow we are to learn, that God's grace is still reaching to us. Verse 45 ends on a sober note. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Ends with a quadruple negative, right? They didn't understand it. It was concealed from them. They couldn't perceive it. They were afraid to even ask what this was all about. See, for the disciples, and I think for us often, more information isn't always going to help the situation. Better information doesn't always help the situation. This is what keeps us close to Jesus. This is what keeps us listening to Jesus. Because sometimes we just don't get it. Even if we were presented with all the facts, we still wouldn't get it. The fact is, we need God to reveal Himself to us. Apart from God revealing Himself to us, we're never going to get it. We need Almighty God to break into our lives and give us understanding of what's going on around us. And this is what keeps us close to Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. I want to just close this morning with just a, a, a challenge to us, an encouragement to us for us to stay near to Jesus, for us to listen to His voice. We can read these passages and think, oh, it's too bad for the disciples. Blew it again. You know, they didn't have any faith. They slow to learn. You know, the next two sections, they're arguing about who's the greatest, and they're telling people to stop casting. I mean, it's like the disciples are failing over and over and over again. There's four, there's four things that they really fail at. But I think in this, God is revealing to us our need because we're just like the disciples. We're not any different from the disciples. We're not better than the disciples. We don't have things, we don't have, uh, things figured out more completely than the disciples do. We are, we are the disciples. We are disciples of God. And just like the disciples in this passage need to listen to Jesus, we as God's disciples today need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus and this keeps us close to God. I want us to leave here today with an understanding that we need to remain close to God. That we need to approach each day with a sense, and each moment, that we need to approach those moments with a sense of our need and desperation for Jesus. That every phone conversation, every morning, every church service, every day at work, we need Jesus. And He has made Himself available to us that even in our failures, His grace is still reaching out to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning 
We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are speaking to us today. And Lord, we pray that we would listen to you. That we would stay close to you. That the trials and the things we're experiencing, God, would only bring us closer to you. And not drive us away. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Help us, Jesus, to walk in obedience to you by your grace. That we would mirror and reflect your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.